the game And I'm a two-ton wrecking ball filled with pain And I got a lot to say When I'm still feeling good from yesterday so Stand up If you're right on the crown Get down Make the doctor proud Stand up If you're right on the crown Get down Make the doctor proud Well, Hello and welcome to episode 165 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. And today, the the postseason, the World Series, is finally wrapping up. We're close to the end of the road and almost into the offseason for the Blue Jays. But before we get to that point, today we're looking back and deciding who is going to get the end-of-season awards for the Blue Jays. Halfway through the season at the All-Star break, we put our votes in for who would get the mid-season awards. Now that we're at the end of the season, we're looking at back at those predictions, see how they turned out, but we're also going to put in our picks for our end-of-season awards, and it's also especially relevant because some picks from different organizations, whether it's a Players Association, whether it's a Gold Glove Award, they've started to stream in as well, so we're going to be getting our picks in. But uh, guys, how are you? Doing great, Mark. Like you mentioned right off the top, we are so close for off-season Blue Jays content. And, you know, some of that stuff is already kind of starting to circulate a bit. But once the World Series ends, we know we're kind of full throttle to all of that throughout the winter. So it's good that we're almost at the end of that. And uh, today we get to talk about, like you mentioned off the top again, the awards. And I'm pretty excited to be here. So I am doing good. Yeah, we got some news. I guess it was yesterday that Marcus Simeon is switching his agents. He's going now to Scott Boris, which of course for every Blue Jay fan, you kind of get PTSD when you talk about Scott Boris, but you know, maybe it's not as bad as it seems. They've signed Hyunjin Ryu, who's of course a Scott Boris client in the past, the sort of blue fever or, uh, you know, the, the idea that Scott Boris is afraid of having his clients sign with Canadian teams, the blue flu, no longer a thing, hopefully with that happening. But anyways, Jacob, how are you? I'll be honest, this offseason, I know it technically hasn't started, but this has been like the most boring stretch of weeks since the Blue Jays have ended. I mean, part of it is because the other Toronto teams are just, they induce a lot of anger, but uh, I'm happy to do this. I'm happy to get on with the offseason, and at least there is still some World Series baseball going on. It's true. We are two games into the World Series. Game three is tonight. By the time you're hearing this, you'll probably be watching game four, but Before we get to that, let's jump right into our end-of-season awards, and like we did halfway through the season, we're going to start with the least important awards and work our way up to the most important awards, so as always, the least important award is Reliever of the Year, and you know, like, there's not much to talk about with this. Halfway through the season, we said it was Jordan Romano, and we got votes from all of our followers and listeners, and 74% of respondents said it was Jordan Romano for the reliever of the year. Um, I'm pretty sure that hasn't changed for any of us. I'm pretty sure Jordan Romano is still at the top of that list for all of us. And, you know, maybe you can enter into the conversation towards the end of the season. Yeah, you know, Trevor Richards worked himself into that conversation. Adam Simber, Tim Meza, they were all kind of on that list by the end of the year. But Jordan Romano was dominant from start to finish. He had a couple of rough patches with you know, beginning of June, the spider tack stuff, sticky substance ban. Um, but by and large throughout the entire season, he was a Blue Jays best reliever. He was a go-to reliever in high leverage situations. And I think I'm pretty sure all of us are going to say Jordan Romano is a reliever of the year. Yeah. I mean, really no argument I think there. And I get, I was going to say before you mentioned this, guys like Adam Simber and Trevor Richards, uh, Tim Meza, all these guys 
weren't here really in that first half of the season and if they were they were kind of struggling but in the second half of the season I think we can argue that the bullpen was probably a strength of the team at least at some points you know there were obviously rough patches and Blue Jays were not still immune to injuries but by and large it still was I think Jordan Romano and at the end of the day yeah he's only covering one inning but he's covering the most important inning of of your game you're down or you're up by less than four I believe so three and three and below and he he gives the Blue Jays I don't even want to say gives them a chance to win because they've already had their chance he's just finishing the deal he's like almost the presence been made he's just putting the bow on it and I mean next year we easily could be arguing for anybody like Adam Simber however at the end of the day I think we have to agree that Jordan Romano night in and night out no matter the situation, gave the Blue Jays the best possible chance uh, to to finish the deal and was easily their best reliever. 1,000%. And for Jordan Romano, all year, that guy who we all spoke about pretty much at the start of the year, how he was the unofficial closer. He started the year not as the closer, and obviously throughout the year he continued to work himself into that role, and he was more comfortable with that role. We know the numbers he put up. He finished 2021 with a 214 ERA and uh, 23 saves in that span. That's pretty good for somebody who appeared in 62 games as well and didn't start the year as the closer. So he was the strength of the bullpen near the end. You knew that once he was coming in, most likely and pretty much every time, um, it was going to be a good result for the Jays. You knew that he was going to um, you know, secure the win for the Jays and pretty much earn them the win. And that's why it was very crucial later on in the season as well. The more they used him, he was pitching on back-to-back days. He was coming out for multiple innings. And uh, the Jays continued to roll with him throughout that stretch. And uh, it worked out for them. It worked out for them. And he definitely wasn't the reason for any sort of, you know, missing out of the playoffs and all, all that. He was the strength of the team and he made the bullpen a lot better. And that bullpen in particular as well, Jacob, you were mentioning how it did become a strength. And I think one of those reasons too is just because the amount of, I guess, high leverage situations they were put put in, it, it decreased in that second half, which was good. So it gave them more of a kind of lower stress level, more of a, just a lower, you know, you know what I mean, in terms of pressure and all that. They kind of had more of a uh, relaxing, you know, I wouldn't say relaxing all that much, but it definitely wasn't as much in terms of coming in and one run games, two run games every single time. So it was good for them to kind of have a little bit more of separation by the lead once they uh, did come into the game. But whenever that lead was close, uh, going against what I just said, Jordan Romano was that guy that came in and got the job done. And, uh, you know, the question too remains for next year is the Jays obviously look to increase or pretty much improve the bullpen. We know that's a given. Does Jordan Romano remain the closer? And um, I, I would think yes right now. But of course, there are so many names that could be added to this bullpen. There's so many roles that Romano is comfortable with. We know he's good coming out of the pretty much anywhere late in game. So obviously, nothing's really set in stone. But you have to figure as of now, early on in the offseason, he's your guy for next year in a full season as the official closer. And uh, for me, I like that a lot. So we're definitely going to see what happens there. And um for me as well, I hope he is the closer next year, unless something drastic changes where they add somebody out of the blue where he might be the closer instead. But Romano from Marco Ontario came out of the bullpen, always had a cool little entrance video and music and everything and all that coming out of the bullpen. You really felt it once they came back to Rogers Center as well. Uh, you knew the Jays were in good hands when he was coming out of the bullpen all year. Yeah, and for the Blue Jays right now, you kind of want to build around the core four guys that you have in the bullpen, which is what we saw this year. You have Trevor Richards now, Adam Simber added at the deadline, and of course you have Tim Meza and Jordan Romano. Those are the four guys that are going to be in your bullpen, and you can kind of bet on them for next year. Maybe you know you have to counter in some 
decline, reversion to the mean for someone like Tim Meza, who maybe you don't expect to be as good as he was this year in future years. But those are the four guys that you're going to try to build around moving forward. How you build around them is a good question, and we're going to be talking about it over the next few weeks and into the offseason when it comes to the Blue Jays' interest in relievers and pitching and starting pitching. Of course, that's going to impact how the bullpen shakes out, but all these factors are going to come into play. But um, I think I disagree with you, Bryson. I don't want Jordan Romano to be the closer next season, and that's not because of anything to do with Jordan Romano. It's just the fact that I want the Blue Jays to add someone better than him in the bullpen. I want them to get that guy that, you know, kind of Jordan Romano 2.0, someone that you can count on day in and day out. They tried to do that this season with Kirby Yates. Obviously, it didn't work out, but I'd like to see them make that addition. But yeah, hands down this season, Jordan Romano was the number one closer out of the bullpen, and there were no doubts in any of our minds about that. Um, Going back to our mid-season award episode, you know, we had three finalists and then kind of an other option. The three finalists for this award at the midseason mark was Anthony Castro, Tim Meza, and Jordan Romano. So we don't look so stupid with the Tim Meza being included on that list, but Anthony Castro, man, that just goes to show how bad the Blue Jays' bullpen was in the first half of the season and somehow how some trades and some guys really uh, paid off for the Blue Jays in the second half. But we will move on to our second award of the day, and it is the best offseason edition for the Blue Jays. So now that we have a full season to take into account the impact of guys over the offseason, who do you think was the best offseason edition for the Blue Jays? I'll start it off because I think I was the one with the, with the differing opinion last time. I said George Springer, considering the, the contract length and the, the size of it and everything, I think this, after seeing the entire season, I, I can't say that it wasn't Marcus Simeon at this point because look at what he did for himself. I mean, he, he, 40, what was it, 44, 45 home runs, the most out of any second baseman in any season, which is kind of funny because this is the one season he's actually ever fully played second base, but he played in every single game, only started or, or didn't start one game and he came into that game anyway, so played every single game. Did uh, we predicted this? He was going to be the Blue Jays' everyday second baseman. There was maybe a bit of concern. What was he going to play short? Were they going to move Bichette? Didn't happen. He came in every single day, and pretty much like if I I don't know who the AL MVP is yet, but if there were a few guys not in the American League, then Marcus Simeon would probably be number two or number one on that list. And without him, the Blue Jays, I th- <clears throat> I think you maybe take five six wins out of their win total easily or more and I would love to see him back next season personally I'll say it right now I don't think it's likely if the Blue Jays have to pick I think there's somebody else that will will get that contract but considering what he did for this team this year easily was uh, it was the best offseason acquisition because he made this team what easily could have been a World Series contender had they have just gotten that one extra win and gotten into the uh, the tiebreaker game Yep, um, you were the one who did say Springer at the time, but of course Mark and I, I'm sure we're obviously all going to have the same answer here and we'll stick with Marcus Simeon as the best offseason addition. We all know how he started off the season, we spoke about that in July, and he didn't slow down in the second half no matter what anyone thought. He continued to play well and he actually probably played better in the second half. He emerged quickly as, you know, leading the team in war and just getting consideration across the game in in terms of different awards um, and all that. So for Marcus Simeon, 
we know we all know how important he was, how valuable he was, you know, how much he was loved in the the clubhouse this year, and um, he's going to be a heavy topic that we're going to be talking about a lot, um, starting within the next the next couple of weeks. So we know the news yesterday that Scott Boris was is now going to be representing him this winter. So we'll see how that kind of pans out. I don't know if that makes fans more confident or less confident about the chances of bringing him back. But like I said, he's going to be a heavy topic to talk about, especially on this podcast this winter. So I'm sure we all hope he is back. Um, and some, you know, we hope he does come back. And um, either way, it was just what a remarkable season for Marcus Simeon to come over here. And um, in his one year, just dominating no matter where he was uh, playing every day. You know, you don't see that a lot anymore in 2021, no matter if he came off the bench in one game or whatnot. He appeared in 162 games, and he was on the field every day working with Bo Bichette. You just shows how valuable he was and, you know, how many, how much really the players looked up to him. So that's why um, for him to come here and on a one-year deal like that and uh, perform and take a chance on himself to do that, it's pretty crazy to think about it. And we had a discussion about this, and it was the title of an... Um, a podcast episode we did what once they signed him uh back in february it was did the blue jays overpay for marcus simeon and obviously that really aged on us very quickly in a good way because you <laughs> you know we we like to be wrong about that because of how valuable and how good he was to this team so obviously this winter the salary he's going to get no matter where it's from is going to be not even close to 18 million dollars and the term's going to be long and it's just going to look completely different than what we saw this past February. But for Marcus Simeon, he deserves it. He really does. And this winter, he deserves to get paid no matter where he goes. Yeah, I got nothing to add. It's so ridiculous what he did this year for the Blue Jays on such a you know team-friendly contract, so friendly for the Blue Jays, so cheap. And not just on the field, but we've talked about his influence off the field as well and everything he did in the Blue Jays clubhouse and setting an example for Everyone in the Blue Jays clubhouse, especially the younger guys on how to act, how to carry yourself, um, how to train and prepare and prep for game time and to be ready for game time and be uh, at your best all the time when you're on the field. So such a great example and definitely the best uh, offseason addition and we're all going to be waiting eagerly to find out what happens with him in the offseason and where he ends up if it's not with the Blue Jays, which of course we all hope it is. But um, the other guys we had on our list, as you mentioned, uh, Jacob, George Springer was on the list when we did our midseason award. And Steven Matz was also on that list. I think that list, you know, it stays true. Those were the top three offseason additions. They both, uh, all three of them had big impacts on the Blue Jays. They helped the Blue Jays a lot over the course of the season. Um you know, George Springer, of course, being injured, not ideal what he did, but he still added a lot of value for the Blue Jays. And Steven Matz, uh, look, apparently the Blue Jays are considering offering him a qualifying offer. So, you know, that just kind of gives you the picture of how he did this year where the Blue Jays traded for him. They sent, you know, three shoestring prospects and Sean Reed Foley and I think it was Josh Winkowski and another guy who I can't remember the name of. That's how, you know, small of a prospect it was. They send those three guys to the Mets and they get a guy who comes out and has an ERA below four. He starts pretty much every time through the rotation, except for the last couple days of the season when things were getting jigged around. So, I mean, all three of those guys, great additions. And really, if you look back at it, you know, I think we ended up giving grades for the Blue Jays offseason and all of us were kind of conservative when it happened towards the uh, end of last offseason in um, March or April. I think we all kind of said like B or B plus and we were all kind of harping on the fact that the Blue Jays didn't add a starter. 
um, a bonafide starter, like a front-of-the-line starter. But you look at these off-season additions for the Blue Jays, and it all went right. They were all good off-season additions, and I mean, you got to be hoping for the same this year. You got to be hoping for a similar approach from the Blue Jays. Obviously, they're in a different position than they were last offseason, and they're going to be approaching things a little differently. Um, and they might be willing to spend more money. They might be willing to make more trades and sacrifice more prospects because they might want to be winning now. But that's a conversation for next week for our offseason preview. But you got to be happy with how these guys panned out, especially Marcus Simeon, especially the bargain that they got him on. Um, all right. Moving forward to the Rookie of the Year award, this one is, again, incredibly obvious who we're picking. It's got to be Alec Manoa. It was Alec Manoa at the halfway mark. It's Alec Manoa now. Just an incredible season from him. And, again, talking about the approach for the Blue Jays going into the offseason, now they might not have to add that front-of-the-line starter. you got bonafide starters in Jose Barrios, in Alec Manoa, and of course you're going to be on the prowl to bolster that back end of the rotation, but you don't have to potentially spend big on that front-line guy. If you did do, it's a bonus. If you re-sign someone like Robbie Ray, it's of course a bonus, but the addition of Alec Manoa in the rotation so early in his career, way faster than any of us predicted, is a huge boost for the Blue Jays, and he is... I think for all three of us, again, it's an obvious answer, but he is 100% the Rookie of the Year award for us. He might not even just be the Blue Jays Rookie of the Year. Like, he easily could be, maybe not easily, but could be the American League or Rookie of the Year. And just, I I like that point you brought up at the end where the Blue Jays, particularly me, I was very critical of the fact that they did not go out and sign Taiwan Walker. I was just very angry about that. I thought he was good for them in 2020. I thought they needed somebody, and the uncertainty of not having a starter was definitely concerning. However, and I think I mentioned this maybe the the first episode of the offseason, the rotation next year is looking fantastic with a guy like Alec Manoa, a guy like Nate Pearson, who I think is a bit of an X-factor, and Barrios. Like, yes, if you, if you lose Robbie Ray, that is a huge issue, and that's going to be very hard to replace, but besides that i think you easily have one of the top rotations in maybe major league baseball at least in the american league and it's because of guys like alec manoa who come up and yeah had a few bad starts his era was up uh, in the mid fours at one point but that was after maybe his second or third start or something like there was the one in baltimore that got him but pretty much this entire season he dominated and it was straight from his first couple at bats in new york on uh or in i think it was may 27th or uh, whatever it was but Basically, he came up, played the majority of the season, and was one of, if not the most dependable starters for the Blue Jays. And I said this a couple weeks ago, but easily, maybe not game one starter, maybe not wild card starter with Robbie Ray on, in the rotation, but to me, he's your game two starter. And he's I think he's definitely uh, on pace for another great season next year. But in terms of this year, easily, easily the Blue Jays' best rookie. 100%. And he might not be the AL Rookie of the Year, but he's definitely the Blue Jays Rookie of the Year. My AL Rookie of the Year prediction, uh, and I think the front runner was Luis Garcia, so I think that still is the case. And depending on the Astros in the World Series, I'm sure that'll obviously have a good impact for him if they ended up winning. But for Alec Manoa, yeah, I mean, we discussed it all year. We had a segment about him every week, and every week it just didn't seem likely that he was going to you know, be in the major leagues, and he ended up coming up and being in the major leagues. And Mark, you referenced our offseason grade and how we kind of all, and it was Jacob too, the most sort of 
you know, the three of us who said that the Jays needed to add a starter. So I, the thing I do remember about that, but the, the significance to the grades that we gave and the criticism that, you know, we gave about why they didn't add a starter was because, you know, or what Alec Manoa did made that realistic for us to kind of be wrong about adding a starter. Because obviously if Alec Manoa doesn't come up, probably the rotation isn't as bright as it ended off. I mean, Jose Barrios obviously turns that rotation solid too, and you have him for next year, but he was the turning point. He was the start of it for this rotation. And that is why that offseason criticism that we did have didn't pan out um, to be as big of a deal as we once thought. And that's pretty much what I was trying to say uh, a few seconds ago. So that's a really big reason to why Alec Manoa did, the, or pretty much why this happened because of the success of Alec Manoa. And, you know, not only was it successful for him, but he really helped the team more than as much as, you know, he benefited from coming up. His impact to the team itself uh, was crazy. And that's why it was the start of the turning point. It later turned into Jose Barrios. And now when you look at it with or without Robbie Ray, you still have a pretty solid rotation from the start. And um, you better believe that Alec Mono is going to be obviously one of those top three pitchers there next year. So that's why uh, it was crucial for him when he came up for what he did and how successful he was once he uh, showed up right away. He just he looked right away like a major league pitcher and you saw his first start in New York. I mean, immediately you just look at the highlights from that start of, especially the very first start in New York. And you say, this guy is a major league pitcher and he looked like a veteran out there in his very first start of the year. It's just crazy to see how fast his development turned out to be because for prospects these days and uh, draft picks and all that, you rarely see that it's usually what, at least three, four, five years, sometimes even longer. So that's why, it was so unpredictable and so unlikely at the start that we thought he was going to come up, but he ended up doing that in less than a couple of years, and he dominated in his uh, first year as well. He had some hiccups, of course, but he overcame a lot of that, and he ended off on a really solid note. Yeah, he's definitely the Blue Jays Rookie of the Year. I don't think he is the American League Rookie of the Year. There's a lot of guys ahead of him, and because I don't know the exact details, but the eligibility from last year carries over to this year because of the short 60-game season. There's guys who made their debut last season. I know Ryan Mountcastle is in the mix. Um, Randy Rosarina is in the mix. As you mentioned, Bryson Luis Garcia is in the mix. So there's a lot of guys ahead of Alec Manoa just because of the fact that they came up last season and they have more major league experience now that kind of get the leg up in the rookie of the year conversation. But for the Blue Jays, 100%. It is Alec Manoa hands down. And, you know, we've been mentioning and kind of laughing at the other picks that we had on the list for the <laughs> – for the midseason awards, it was Riley Adams and Anthony Castro, also on the Rookie of the Year award list. Some people submitted Alejandro Kirk as kind of their other option, which, you know, it's a fair uh, a fair submission, a fair vote. And um, I think the reason that we didn't really consider Alejandro Kirk was that he was injured for almost the entirety of the first half of the season. So he didn't really get consideration in the Rookie of the Year award for us. But, you know, Riley Adams, like, he fell off the face of the earth, obviously got traded, but as soon as the Blue Jays had healthy catchers, he wasn't getting playing time anyways. And Anthony Castro, I mean, just the slim pickings for the Blue Jays, it was definitely Alec Manoa, who's the Rookie of the Year. But uh, we move on to the next award, which is Comeback Player of the Year. This one is where we actually had a lot of, um, you know, uh, back and forth and head-to-head -head battles between us and also between what people voted for. When it came to the mid-season awards, we had Vladimir Guerrero Jr. got 26% of the vote. Robbie Ray got 28% of the vote. 
and Marcus Simeon got 32% of the vote. And then the other option, which some people said Tim Meza, some people said Ross Stripling. Um, I think some people may have said Steven Matz under that as well. That got 12% of the vote. So just kind of running the gambit of a whole bunch of players who were considered under this option. But for comeback player of the year, I know at the halfway mark, I said Ross Stripling. Um, it wasn't one of the three options that we put forward, but Stripling had such an incredible season that I had to, um, you know, recognize what he was doing in the first half and his, you know, rough start to the first half, but then, you know, just a couple stretches, a, a couple months there where he was absolutely dominant, um, starting with his uh, adjustment in his um, in his windup and the way he pitched and um, just having a carryover. And then, of course, towards the end of the season, it didn't work out. He got injured. He had that... Um, eight run outing against the Red Sox to start the second half so he's not my comeback player of the year for the second half I think I gotta go with Marcus Simeon I I just if you look at the definition of comeback player of the year Marcus Simeon checks all the boxes he was an MVP candidate in 2019 fell off the face of the earth in 2020 and suffered injuries and never really got going and then he comes back signs that 18 million dollar deal as we already talked about and is now Again, an MVP candidate. Not going to win it, of course, but I wouldn't be surprised if he finished third or fourth in MVP voting. So he's my pick for comeback player of the year. Who do you guys have? So you mentioned injuries, and because of that, I think it has to be Tim Meza, at least for me, going into... Because here's like obviously he had Tommy John surgery, missed that entire season, or the entire previous season. I mean, it was only 60 games, so not much he could have played anyways, but still... He was out of baseball activities, and we also forget he got a master's degree during that break, which is a little bit crazy to think about. But going into this year, this was a, okay, we'll see what we can really get out of Tim Meza. Like, maybe he's good. I know he was good those first couple seasons he came up, but then it was, okay, like, I don't, I don't really know what to expect out of him. But then he comes in, in 53 uh, innings, 5-2 and two record, although I record I don't really care about too much with pitchers, especially... Uh, relievers but a 340 ERA and it was up it was up in the 450s in early May and it came down quite a bit Uh, and the one thing that I'm liking is nearly a 5 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio it was 57 to 12 to be exact 98 whip so 098 whip under one like we talk about Jordan Romano we talk about Adam Simber but Tim Meza is just as important to this bullpen as uh, those guys were and it started really with just this impressive, not even imp- imp- impressive season. I don't know if that's the right word, but just outstanding type of season where really nobody had any expectations for him. Tim Meza suffered that terrible injury. He comes back and really he was one of, I guess, the old era Blue Jays, if you want to put it that way, where before all these younger guys came up and the Springers and the Ryus came, Tim Meza was one of those guys. He came back. And it's looking like he's now going to be probably a major league reliever for quite a long time. Now, can things change? Absolutely. Am I going to bet on that? Absolutely not. Because what I've seen out of Tim Meza when he is healthy, and even, you know, typically I did a YouTube, uh, I went through a YouTube rabbit hole a couple of weeks ago dealing with uh, Tommy John surgery. And one of the things that I found interesting was that going into that pitchers numbers tend to decline a little bit because the the actual UCL is declining and then it just finally snaps and so Tim Meza basically he comes out of that like he struggles he gets injured then he comes back and really aside from the build-up to the Tommy John surgery he's been one of their best relievers if not maybe not best reliever but one of their top and he's in that top four 
absolutely and i i gotta give it to him he just considering all the the other things that went on not just the baseball like yes tommy john surgery is baseball but all of the other things that went into getting him back to this season and getting him to the forefront of the the bullpen has me very impressed and thinking that he's easily easily been their best reliever and comeback player of the year yeah that's interesting um for me regardless of the comeback and yes tim Mesa definitely deserves consideration for sure but for me i gotta stick with what i said back in july and that was marcus simeon just because of the just the turnaround, right? You you look at this 2020, everyone knows of how bad he struggled. Everyone has, has an idea of the numbers that he had back then. And then he comes back and he leads the team in war. He pretty much leads in most categories or at least a lot of the categories. He plays every day. And all of a sudden, he's being represented by Scott Boris a year later after what he did in 2020. For me, I just it's for it's hard for me to pass up on the impact and the level that Simeon pretty much rose to in 2021. You know, going back to his 2019 form, um, pretty much. And a lot of people said that's not going to be possible with Marcus Simeon this year. He will be better than he was in 2020, but he will not be as good as he was in 2019. And that was what majority of the people thought. I'm pretty sure all of us kind of thought that. And he over-exceeded expectations. We knew he was going to be better, but to the level that he played to this year, definitely something that not a lot of us had in mind. Uh, maybe a, a certain few, but not a lot of people in, in terms of the majority. And obviously, Robbie Ray is also another good argument to have. But uh, my reasoning back in July, and I think I'll, stay, I'll stand by it, um, is the fact that Robbie Ray kind of turned things around once he became a Blue Jay uh, at the end of 2021. So he came into this year somewhat on a higher note than what Marcus Simeon did, and that's why, for me, a comeback player of the year didn't... It just For me, it doesn't suit him, and that's the way I looked at it from, and I know it's crazy to say because all of a sudden he's going to be the, most likely going to be the Cy Young Award winner, but again, he ended off 2020 a lot better um, than obviously what he started off with because we know how ugly the numbers were in his final days with Arizona and he comes over here and all of a sudden he starts working with Pete Walker he's the first offseason addition last year he comes back right pretty much a few weeks after the World Series last year and then all of a sudden he continues that in 2021 and obviously Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is a good another good argument but uh, for me it's just the the turnaround from Marcus Simeon is what catches me um especially someone over Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was never bad like he was always average and that was probably the thing that a lot of fans got frustrated with is that he wasn't at that elite level that pretty much people were forecasting him to be when he was in the minor league level but it's not like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was bad he was still putting up decent numbers and he was still getting on base the odd time he was playing average and all of a sudden this year he takes off to the player that we thought he was going to be from the minor league days but for me just Nothing beats the turnaround uh, from what Marcus Simeon went from in 2020 to 2021. Yeah, I have to say, honestly, Jacob, you kind of convinced me there talking about Tim Mesa. But um, yeah, for me, I like I don't consider Vladdy as a comeback player of the year because I think he's more of a breakout player. Like he was never bad, like you said, and he was never good. Like he's not coming back to what he was. He was just average when he came up to the majors and he's finally living up to expectations. So um, yeah, I don't consider him a comeback player of the year. Kind of the same with Robbie Ray. He was never amazing. He was an all-star in 2017. He did have good numbers, but he was never who he was this season, this past season. He was never at that kind of top Cy Young Award level. So that's also why I don't totally consider him um, for the award. Uh, Marcus Simeon, obviously amazing pick. But um, Tim Mesa, yeah, it, it like uh, Jacob, you mentioned his splits after the kind of first few games of the season. Um, 
you look at his month of April, phenomenal. Didn't give up a single earned run. Didn't even give up a, a run, let alone earned. He didn't give that up until an outing on May 7th against the Astros where he gave up two runs. And then he just kind of has a stretch of horrible games. He gives up two runs, two runs, three runs, two runs, no runs for two outings, and then he gives up three runs in another outing to end off May. So just May was a horrible month for Tim Mesa. But then he comes back start of June. If you look at his outings from June 1st onward, he has an ERA of 1.83. And that's not a small sample size. That's 39.1 innings, 42 games. Just incredible. And I believe Tim Mesa is now the longest tenured Blue Jay on the Major League roster because previously it was Anthony Alford. Anthony Alford, of course, no longer with the Blue Jays. And I think it was Teoscar Hernandez before Tim Mesa made it back to the Major League roster, but Teoscar Hernandez made his Major League debut on September 1st, 2017, or Blue Jays debut on September 1st, 2017. Tim Mesa made it on August 15th of 2017. So if my math is correct, Tim Meza is the longest tenured Blue Jay. So, I mean, just just an incredible season from him and maybe not comeback player of the year award worthy for the Blue Jays roster as there is some people who do overshadow him, but he definitely deserves some love for what he was able to do this season, especially considering where he was just a year ago in his development. And as you mentioned, Jacob, getting his master's degree a year ago and then being one of the Blue Jays' best relievers on the mound. So we move to the next award. It's the Gold Glove Award. This is another award where there's not totally a consensus over who we should pick um, for the midseason awards. We had Randall Grishik, Vladdy, and Marcus Simeon, as well as you know a lot of other votes for Gurriel, Espinal, Teoscar Hernandez, Bo Bichette. Um, but where do you guys land on who deserves the Gold Glove Award for 2021? See, I think it depends on what we're valuing here, because if you're valuing just everyday consistency, probably Simeon, probably Vladdy, uh, even Espinal. Like the thing is, he's he'll make those those flashy plays, especially the the one in against Kansas City. But pretty, I think he had maybe six or something errors. Like it was very tiny, a bit of errors, and four of them or, or two of them, I think, came in like a, a one game span. So he'll be consistent every day, but. If you value, I think, those flashy plays, perhaps Bichette, perhaps Gurriel, like it, I think it, it honestly just depends on what you value. And because of that, I think you kind of have to give it to multiple. I know you can't give it to multiple, but if I had to pick guys, I'd probably pick either between Gurriel and Vladdy. And if I had to pick between those two, well, I know, look, here's the thing. That's why I was saying it depends on what you value. And yes, he makes questionable uh decisions i don't know if his his uh his mental gps is always <laughs> properly turned on when it comes to going to the to the ball but he makes those flashy plays and he'll gun guys down when needed and so maybe it's controversial maybe he d- makes your head uh gives you gives you a bit of a head scratching moment sometimes but i think if you're making these types of flashy plays pretty much on a semi-regular basis, then you got to at least consider that as one of your uh, Gold Glove finalists. That You're wrong, is interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. I mean, here's the thing, though. Maybe Jacob's on to something, as he was one of the finalists from the Blue Jays for the Gold Glove Award. Now, I don't I, agree with that, I obviously. I completely forgot to mention that. Well, I mean, I mean, that's why I thought you had you were on to something there. But, um, yeah, I personally 
don't agree. just because of you know like you were mentioning the mental G- or his just his GPS on the field. The arm is there, yes, but unfortunately, other than the arm, sometimes there are some issues with him in the outfield. But my Gold Glove Award winner, Mark, I know you have a lot to say about this, so I'll give you the floor in a sec. My Gold Glove Award winner. It's got to be Marcus Simeon. I mean, I'm, I again, I feel like a broken record saying his name every time, but he was another one that, for me, deserved it. I mean, he came out every day. We know about this. He was in the field. He hates DHing, and um, I think that has a really Im- big impact, too. He was a solid fielder for pretty much the entire year, and somebody who we didn't have the chance to kind of vote for at the time in July, who is another finalist at the end of the year for the Jays, and that's Jose Barrios. I think he deserves a lot of consideration as well, and we know how good of a defensive uh, fielder he is as a pitcher. He made a lot of good plays once he started here, and that's pretty much what he's been known for across the game as well, and that's something that's somebody who we didn't have the option to vote for in the midseason awards, so he's definitely a runner-up for me. Uh, I think the Jays got it right for the first two uh, finalists. Besides Gurriel, I do think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. deserved maybe a finalist as well over someone like Guriel, but Mark, I'll let you uh, take it from here. Yeah. Guriel is not a cool club. <laughs> I just bottom line. Like I don't, if we're talking about the league, 100%, he is certainly not a gold glover. I don't know why he has been a finalist for the gold glove in left field two years in a row. Like I, you guys are like, I love <laughs> Lourdes Guriel Jr. as much oh, yeah. as the next guy. I think he's one of, if not my favorite player. Just for, we all do. You know, his personality, his attitude, how he's always, you know, joking around and he's like a little kid in the dugout. It just makes you smile watching him play. It's so much fun. That being said, it can be an adventure in left field a lot of the time. <laughs> you can be very confused about what's going on his head in his head when that's happening. I think of plays where he just took a wrong route to the ball I think there was a play and I don't know why this is sticking out of my head but in Chicago where or maybe it was Detroit um I can't remember I, I'm pretty sure it was Chicago earlier in the season in June or July and he took such an awkward route to the ball and he should have been able to get this guy out but because of the route he took to the ball the runner scored and um he's just it's an adventure all the time with him in the outfield so you can praise his arm all you want but he's not a gold glover whether it's league-wide or just for the Blue Jays. I have to say, Jacob, I'm sorry. I don't agree with you there. Um, I do think Vladdy deserves some love here. Marcus Simeon, obviously, we keep bringing up his name, but it's because he does deserve love for all these things. He was so great this season in the field, and you know you can bring up the one pivotal error he made in the, the Detroit series at the end of the season, and that eventually ended up costing the Blue Jays, but he was just so consistent all year and so, so good that I think... I'm with you, Bryson. I think my uh, my Gold Glove Award has to go to Marcus Simeon. And I think of all the Blue Jays players who are nominated, Gurriel, um, Barrios, and Simeon, I think Barrios and Simeon obviously have the best shot of winning it. I think Simeon is number one on that list. I think just the fact that he was so consistent, so good day in and day out at Gold Glove or at second base means he deserves a Gold Glove for that position. And I'll let your pick of uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. slide a little bit. Uh, Jacob but um, okay moving on to the Cy Young Award I mean this one's obvious I we've mentioned his name it's Robbie Ray there's no other positive possible alternative to the Cy Young Award being Robbie Ray um, halfway through the season there was a possibility that it could still be Ryu. Um at the time that we were 
voting and collecting votes and, and putting her own thoughts in. Uh, Ryu got 19% of the vote compared to 65% for Robbie Ray. So Ryu was still very much in the conversation, even if he wasn't at the top of that list. But, I mean, just how the second half of the season unfolded for both Ryu and Ray, it is so obvious that it's Robbie Ray. And we had the conversation about Marcus Simeon, how the Blue Jays should re-sign him. Now the conversation turns to Robbie Ray, and you're hoping the Blue Jays re-sign him. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, this was he wasn't even the Blue Jays' best pitcher. He was one of the league's best pitcher. And I'm going to put it this way. I don't think he is the frontrunner for the Cy Young. I do. The reason why is I think he you're going to you guys are going to hate that I say this, but I think <laughs> he's the grunt runner for this this <laughs> the Cy Young award and <laughs> terrible joke. I'm sorry, but Robbie Ray easily one of the best pitchers and I really like I don't know how much debate there is. He's just been the best he's had one of the best seasons, I think, out well, of any Blue Jay. Wait, apparently so, there's some debate because you don't think he's a wait. So who's the front, the front runner? runner? Who's the front runner? No, no, then? no. I said no, no, no. It was a play on words. I'm saying he's the grunt runner, oh. as in like the. I'm not going to moan on the podcast, but like his, his <laughs> thing. I'm, I'm so confused. <laughs> okay, I guess I basically under- he. So he is a front. Runner. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Funny I joke, s- okay. Nice joke. Yeah. <laughs> Pun completely intended. Robbie Ray is the best pitcher in baseball right now, or at least was when the season was uh, underway. But yeah, he really no debate there. I think if any, I mean, if he wasn't here, then I think that would be much, there'd be much more of a debate, you know, maybe Barrios, Manoa. But when you have a guy that is probably going to demand 30 plus million dollars, it's for a reason. And he's, he was their best pitcher all season long. I am still getting over that joke, Jacob. I'm just—I was confused at the start. I still am, but all I know is at the end of this conversation, Robbie Ray is the guy. And yes, I do agree with you. And obviously, the front runner for the Cy Young Award, um, and somebody—you know—I want to talk in terms of the actual MLB. Somebody who really bypassed Garrett Cole, who maybe could have been the front runner at the time during the midseason for the entire league, or sorry, for the American League, and all of a sudden, uh, Garrett Cole continued to kind of trend downward, uh, tread downward, and then all of a sudden Robbie Ray kind of bypassed him, continued, and he was just on another level the entire year. So we've spoken about the top two free agents. We're going to see what happens. Um, a little bit of a side note, I don't know if you guys saw, but friend of the show, Dan Shulman, had a prediction, who, and he came out and said his prediction was Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon are going to leave, and then the Jays bring in Jose Ramirez. So obviously that is content for the offseason. Just a little bit of a side note, but since we're bringing up pretty much the two top guys on this team this year, or at least in these categories, kind of remi- got me to remember. But for Robbie Ray, well-deservedly so for the Cy Young, for the, uh, for the Blue Jays as well as the American League, and there really is no debate. Everyone knows how good he was. Everyone knows the numbers. And um, yeah, it's, just, it's not even close. I'm never going to be able to think of the word front runner again <laughs> in the same way after that i'm gonna be scarred for life but yeah i i mean who knows what happens whether he resigns or not but he's got to be the cy young winner if you're the blue jays and in the american league he you know hands down in my opinion the cy young award winner um maybe a better question to ask and we can go around quickly to talk about this who is the runner up for the cy young on the blue jays like if you had to pick the second best pitcher on the Blue Jays, who are you picking as that guy? Because Jacob, you mentioned if Robbie Ray's not on the team, you talk about Alec Manoa, you talk about Jose Barrios. Who's winning the Cy Young Award if Jose, if uh, if Robbie Ray is not on the team? 
I considering he was here a lot longer than somebody else. It's got to be uh, I think Manoa just considering the the fantastic season he had and it was a rookie of the year type season at least for the Blue Jays and I think that says something about how good he was and maybe if Barrios was up earlier you could argue him and there's cases to be made about other guys but I think it's definitely got to be uh, Manoa. Yeah, for me, I think I got to go with Barrios as much as he came in late. He was just really solid, and you know the, what the the Jays gave up for him, and pretty much he was that second guy basically in a situation where there was a game 163 or maybe a wild card game or a game one. Just in all scenarios, Jose Barrios was that guy who was penciled in the game after Robbie Ray, and that's why I think the the amount of dependence the Jays had on him and the impact that Barrios made, and he, he solidified the rotation. We've spoken about how the rotation ended off on a really good note. He was that last piece, and he's one of the guys set in stone for next year. It's definitely close between the two, but since I consider Alec Manoa a rookie, and I'm giving him rookie of the year, I got to give the edge to Barrios here for a runner-up Cy Young. That's just the way I'm looking at it from. Yeah, I'll be the tiebreaker and agree with Bryson. Um, I think, just because if you think about it in the situation of, like you said, Bryson, like a game 163, you're playing a one-game playoff, a wild-card type scenario, are you going with Alec Manoa or are you going with Jose Barrios? And to me, that's a question you have to ask. And I would go with Jose Barrios a hundred times out of a hundred. And that's not to knock Alec Manoa. He was phenomenal. It's just Jose Barrios was that much better. And he's that much more reliable. And he's got that veteran influence. He's not as much of a wild card um, as Alec Manoa was, I think. Um, but okay. So that is in the books, and all of our awards are in the books, except for the last one, the MVP award for this season for the Blue Jays. Um, I don't know. I, I'm going to let you guys go first on this one, because I think it might be more interesting than we think it is. The fact that you said that makes me very intrigued, because I thought this was going to be pretty unanimous, and I I don't remember who it was. It was somebody on Sportsnet, but somebody had pointed out the debate between two different players and well, I'll just say their, their names for the, the heck of it Guerrero and, and Otani and th- the debate was well if those two players are not on the teams that they are where are they in the standings and for Otani I mean he's playing on a pretty bad team but when you talk about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I think he easily has to be the Blue Jays MVP because if he's not there Blue Jays probably don't win what did they win? Yeah, 91 games. Maybe they win 85 at best or, or 80 at best, I think, if he's not on this roster because of literally every aspect of the field. I mean, well, field and in the clubhouse, he's clearly one of the, the, the top guys there. But you talk about saving bad defensive plays, making good plays. He does it. He drives guys in. I mean, obviously, we know what he did. Almost had 50 home runs. Average well over 300 for probably the entire season except for like the first two games and then that one stretch in April or in uh, in August, he literally, he's the guy that I think if you're a Blue Jay fan, this is the guy that you've been waiting for. And and Bichette was that guy last year. He was, I mean, it was limited, limited action, but basically my point is, is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was the MVP considering all of the things that he was able to do, whether it be on the field, uh, in the batter's box, in the clubhouse, just without him, I really don't even think the Blue Jays have anything close to a shot to making any type of playoff picture or any type of wild card or tiebreaker or anything. Like without him, that game in in Boston, I know they ended up losing, but they would have lost in the in the 
in the top of the ninth inning instead of the the bottom of the ninth and maybe they won that game and they would be partially because he drove in that run and there were so many games that if that they won most mostly because of his performance but also even if you look at some of their losses you can say that they were in the game because of what he was able to do and I think that is truly what makes your team valuable is if you are able to to up the team's performance with your performance like if you can make your team win I think that makes you a lot more valuable than pretty much anybody else see this and here I I have a feeling I know Mark's answer here and for that alone this conversation is a lot more close or closer than what it was in July but my pick in July was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for the MVP and I'm gonna stand by that I know um, you can definitely make a case for Simeon. You 100% can. And we've pretty much given him mostly every award uh, this episode. And he led the le- or sorry, he led the Jays in war um, and a lot of other numbers. But for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, this guy led baseball and the American League in most categories, a lot of categories. And he was the guy that they were talking about for the American League MVP other than Shohei Otani. It was immediately Vladimir Guerrero Jr. We know the numbers he put up. And um, just his performance is just for me, just to show the turnaround or the breakout, as uh, Mark, you put it in terms earlier on in the episode. I think that's a perfect word for it. And the breakout this year he had was insane. I mean, going up from a 791 OPS to an OPS of 1,002, he led the American League in OPS on base percentage, slugging OPS plus. He led all of baseball in total. Uh, bases and he led all of baseball or tying at least in home runs and led all of baseball with 123 uh, runs and for home runs he finished at 48 we know the race he had with Otani Salvador Perez is another one who kind of came on late and won an incredible run and one was was one of the guys who actually finished tied with 48 home runs but all these league leading numbers in both the American League and all of baseball in some categories I gotta stick with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, I just think that the, the season he put up was insane and who knows if we get another season like this from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You do hope so, but unfortunately, none of us can guarantee it because these numbers are out of this world. And you're going to get something close to it for sure. I just don't know if it's going to be this good ever again, but hopefully it is. And that's why, for me, he is the MVP. So you said a case can be made for Marcus Simeon for the MVP, and I'm going to make that case. I think Marcus Simeon is the MVP of this team this year. Um, look, what Vladdy did was amazing. Like, there's no discounting his incredible stats, his incredible season. And I think if you're just looking at on-the-field production, he's the MVP, and he has a serious case to be MVP of the league. Obviously, Shohei Otani's going to win it. We all know that's going to be the case. But he has a case and a strong case to be runner-up. That being said, Marcus Simeon was so influential to this team. So, so influential. We've been over it all episode. You cannot discount what he did. And without him, I think the Blue Jays are a completely different team. If you take away Vladimir Guerrero Jr. from this team, first off, everyone would be losing their mind because Vladdy is such a big player for this team. But if you take away Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you still have, I think, a very solid team. You still have a great clubhouse. You still have a a, a potent offense. You still have relatively solid defense. If you take away Marcus Simeon from this team, you lose the biggest clubhouse influence on this team. You lose the biggest role model for these younger players, and you also lose his immense offensive production 
and his superb defensive production. We talked about the fact that he's going to win the gold glove probably. You lose all of that if you take Marcus Simeon away. And Marcus Simeon had more war this season than Vladimir Guerrero Jr., according to baseball reference, at least. So all those facts being considered together, the fact that Marcus Simeon was arguably more valuable on the field than Vladimir Guerrero Jr., in addition to the influence he has on the clubhouse, I think Marcus Simeon is the MVP of this team. Um, There's also a thing to be said for consistency. Vladdy had an incredible season, but he did have a bad stretch in July and August. He went cold for a period of time. Marcus Simeon had a bad April, and that was it. He was consistent from May to the end of September and into October for the Blue Jays. So all those things being taken in mind, I know you guys might disagree with me as you just voted for Vladdy, but I got to pick Marcus Simeon as a team MVP. And just a couple more things to mention. Marcus Simeon wasn't even in the conversation when we were talking about this halfway through the year. Um, We all picked Vladdy for the midseason MVP award, and he got 92% of the vote with 1.5% going to Robbie Ray, 3.8% going to Marcus Simeon, and 2% going to other. Vladdy was hands down the leader, and it wasn't even close for MVP. But because of the consistency that Marcus Simeon had, the strong second half he had, to me, without a doubt, or not without a doubt. There, you know, there's room to be argued here, but I think Marcus Simeon is the MVP. And um, just to cap it all off, he was chosen by the MLB players um, as part of the MLBPA for the 2021 Marvin Miller Man of the Year Award, which goes to a player who's not just known for his on-field production, but his off-field contributions to a team and to the community. So Marcus Simeon, I think, deserves the MVP award, and I'm sure you guys have some thoughts on this. You probably disagree a bit, but I got to choose Marcus Simeon over Vladdy. See, uh, the one thing I will say is actually I think it's kind of good that we have differing opinions because it shows just how good this team was. Like for me, I would it would either be Vladdy or Simeon, and the, and it's not one or two; it's one A or one B, and it's just which which one's A and which one's B. I think and. A case, arguably, well, not arguably because it was made, but cases could be made for both of those guys, and I think that, you know, that that shouldn't necessarily take away. Like, if you pick Guerrero as your MVP, that shouldn't take away from Simeon because he, without either of those two, team's not even anywhere close to where it was, and though it was because of players like that and guys that played pretty much every single day, and even when they weren't playing, they're still keeping the morale up in the, in their tape-filled jail. If uh, you guys remember that back in the early Rogers Center days and whatnot, but those two guys, easily the most impactful guy, players on that team, and without without them, this team wouldn't be anywhere close to where it was. I completely agree that um, there was a case for Simeon. That's why I said it right off the top, because I knew um, it's pretty close. Like It's almost neck and neck, and I think that's a pretty good uh, comparison that you made, Jacob, that it's not one and two. It's either one A or one B. Um, I just think based on all the numbers, the totals, the categories, all the categories that Guerrero did lead in, I just think that if you don't give him that award, it's like you're taking, you're somewhat taking away his success from him. And I understand that it is a very, very close argument. So I'm not saying that's what you're doing, Mark. I'm just saying for me, that's how I feel if he's not awarded this, because I just look at somebody, first of all, who played 161 games and maintained an OPS over a thousand all year. And especially considering the stretch that you mentioned now, he was cold pretty much when the Jays came home in, in July, end of July and August. And he kind of heated up uh, once again in um, September, 
just all all of that and all of his numbers dropping uh, a little bit, he still managed to finish off with what he did and the amount of categories that he led the American League in and some that he led the entire league in. It's it's hard for me to take that away or kind of ignore that and give the MVP to somebody else. And I understand that Simeon did lead the the team in WAR, but other than WAR, uh, Guerrero pretty much led the uh, again the AL or the Jays or all of baseball in these categories. And that's why I think that he's also just the guy that everyone came into this year and he had a lot of pressure on him to start the year. And I know Simeon did as well based off of um, just, I guess the point of his career at the time, but in terms of the fan base, the fan base had the most, or he had the most pressure from the fan base. That was the guy that all of us had circles saying, this is the year or this isn't the year for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And all of us pretty much said, we hope that that's the case. We hope that he is somebody who can break out. And a lot of us were kind of concerned, and I'm sure there was doubt. And I mean, you know, all-time on-base plus slugging, I don't think you've really seen that before other than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I know Carlos Delgado one year had um, an OPS around 949. Josh Donaldson had a 931 OPS. Bautista, I think, was fourth or... Uh, and Edwin Encarnacion also had some close to 900. But for me, that OPS, just to know how important that uh, number has become in baseball, to maintain over 1,000 in 161 games is crazy for me to uh, to look at. And of course, on base plus, or OPS plus, sorry, something that he also led uh, the American League. And that's another stat that's kind of on the rise. And it's as well as the home run race. It was really cool at the end of the year to see the home run race between Otani and Guerrero. And obviously other names showed up at the end of the year. Like I mentioned, Salvador Perez was um, pretty much one of them who kind of went on an incredible run. And we all know the consistent home runs that he was hitting. And um, for me as well, or just for, just to see that was really cool. I know, um, Marcus Simeon also, though, he finished three short, and he did a pretty much uh, come close to it. Fernando Tatis is another one who had 42, and uh, he kind of cooled off near the end of the year. But for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., just the amount of categories that he led in for me was enough. But Marcus Simeon as well, it's it's hard for me to choose because really I still see it as very neck and neck, and I do think there's a valuable case. So I, it's not like I disagree with uh, your ta- your your um, decision marker, who the MVP is. I think this is also just a choice too of how you you look at the MVP award and your the reasons that you said it alone. There's I'm sure there's a lot of people who agree with how you're viewing the MVP as well, and that's why it's hard for me to to say Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because I hate to kind of choose in this situation, and I'm really not. I'm just kind of well, I I am, but. I think if you were to say Simeon, I would completely agree as well. So it's like I'm kind of viewing it as two MVPs in a way. But for if I had to go with one, it'd be Guerrero. But I do think there's a solid, solid case uh, for Simeon. And pretty much all the, the reasons you mentioned for it is I agree with a lot of them and pretty much all of them. Yeah, and I don't know if I can explain this to a way that it makes sense. But I think if you're voting for MVP for the American League, Vladdy finishes higher than Marcus Simeon. But if you're voting for MVP for the Blue Jays, I think Marcus Simeon finishes higher than Vladdy. And I think it's because of, again, I don't know if I can explain this, but his influence on the team, his influence in the clubhouse as a role model, as a leader for all these guys. And yeah, Vladdy was great. We saw how happy and go lucky he was for a lot of the year. And when the team lost, he was obviously bummed out. And I think there was things going on beyond this, behind the scenes that he influenced that was a po- positive influence on the club. But I just think Marcus Simeon is an all-time class act when it comes to influence on the clubhouse, influence on young guys on the team, that he deserves that leg up over Vladdy, 
when it comes to the team itself. When it comes to league MVP, I think that's more of a conversation of performances and stats on the field, and that's why I think Vladi has the leg up when it comes to league MVP. But again, I think there's a difference there, and I don't know if that makes sense to anyone else, but in my head, that's how it kind of shapes up for the Blue Jays. But that was our final award for the 2021 season, and we are officially, with the end of this episode, done our kind of what was it, four weeks retrospective on the 2021 Blue Jays season. We're kind of milking out any last content we can get from it before we move on to the offseason, and we have pretty much made it. We're done with that stretch. Next week, next Saturday, we're going to be coming out with an episode that's previewing the 2021-2022 offseason. We're going to be looking at guys the Blue Jays should target, what their approach should be, what their priorities should be, and then we're going to move into full offseason mode and everyone's familiar with that, as we have done before over the offseason. So with that, we will end this episode there. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to this episode of Section 138. As always, you can find our podcast on social media, at Section138Pod. That's on Instagram and Twitter. You can support our podcast by giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Section138Pod. And if you listen to this episode, you can watch it on YouTube. If you watch it on YouTube, you can listen to it wherever you get podcasts. All right, that's it for us and our retrospective on the 2021 season. We'll be back. We'll be back next week talking about the Blue Jays offseason.